Today's show is sponsored by our friends at distilleryproducts.com. If you are a bourbon group or you are a store or a distillery and you need custom laser etched glassware at wholesale prices, that means the prices are pretty damn good, y'all. Check out distilleryproducts.com. I am happy to get you in touch with them. It is a family-owned and operated business. Carson, Janie, Vicky, all the good folks over there at distilleryproducts.com. They not only have laser etched glassware, they also have awesome swag like customized flasks and other cool things like drink stirs. Check it all out. Go to distilleryproducts.com, see for yourself, and reach out to me. I would love to get you in touch with them. Today's show is also sponsored by our friends at Orca Coolers. It is summer. Summer is hot. It's hot everywhere. You need a cooler that is going to be able to hold ice while it's hot. And Orca Coolers has that. They also have awesome tumblers. They have a barrel tumbler. It looks like a little whiskey barrel. Check them all out at orcacoolers.com. Use code DADSEASON and get 20% off your order. That's D-A-D-S-E-A-S-O-N. Make sure to check them out. Get a cooler or a tumbler. I mean, that cooler holds ice three, four, five days, no problem. I mean, you open that thing up after a few days, the ice looks like you just put it in there. Make sure to go to orcacoolers.com and use code DADSEASON. Today's show is also sponsored by the only sportsbook by Tennesseans for Tennesseans, and that is action247.com. Right now, there's a 100K free-to-play challenge during the first weeks of college football in the NFL, and both are completely free. There are weekly promos leading up to the college and NFL regular seasons. This week, all customers get a 30% deposit boost. The boost will be code-based, so stay tuned to social media for details, but you can also get a deposit boost. You can also get a deposit boost by using code DADS100. They will match up to $400 of your first deposit. There's MLB parlays. There's lots of other stuff. Free games only at action247.com. Get in on the action with action247. Use code DADS100. All right. You don't have a cold open. You're very ready for Mezcal. I understand this. I won't push you. Who's got four hands and a table full of Mezcal? Zeke Baker. I only got two, but you got two more. (laughs) My name is John Edwards, and with me as always is Zeke Baker, and together we make the Dad's Drink of Bourbon. Wherever you are, whatever time it is, thank you for making us a part of your day. And it is a very special Dad's Drink of Bourbon, because in five years, this is the very first episode that Zeke Baker has set up all on his own. Typically, I am reaching out to the guests, I am reaching out to the distilleries to get product, Should they send us product? I am procuring said product if distilleries do not send it to us. This is the very first episode that is Zeke Baker generated. I am going to do something I typically do not do, and I am going to take a step back. I am going to be Zeke Baker today. I am going to shut up for the first 20 minutes, and then I'm just going to come in with a question about 20, 25 minutes. That's typically what Zeke does. So, Zeke, are you ready for this? Look here, you got a roll and I got a roll. We we don't need to change too much. Well, no, I mean we this made, is we made it this far, baby steps. I might want to line up another one another year or three. <laughs> well, if I th- this doesn't fail, I think our friend Bob Hopkins wants to see what you do 
when the quote unquote talent takes over. So go ahead, introduce your guest, tell us who he is, tell us where he's from. Let's go. This is Jason from Five Centitos. <laughs> Y'all know I do awful with saying things that aren't uh, Southern. <laughs> I'll let him take it away now. <laughs> so, Jason, who are you? What, what company are you from? And All what, right. Zeke just said, hey, I, I lined up a Mezcal show. And that was pretty much it. So, like, typically I would have done some research. I would have figured out the brand. And I said, I'm going to let Zeke roll with this one. So I am coming in. This is not me being rude, but I am seeing that it is five sentidos, which is the five senses in Spanish. It is a mezcal. It is from Mexico. I see a lot of these are 49.99 ABV. There's different ABVs on all of the mezcal. Uh, it is imported by PM Spirits. That is the company that he works with. <laughs> Um, in case you, all I had to do was pick up a bottle, buddy. I mean, baby steps. My arm's not that long. They're on the other side of the table. So tell us a little bit about you and Five Centitos. All right. We're going to get this going here. Like you said, my name is Jason Paul Cox. I'm the owner of Cinco Centitos. That's how you say five in Spanish. Hey. Uh, um, so that is, five, that is five senses. And uh, we are talking mezcal. We are also talking a really unusual subsector of mezcal which is basically unclassified or declassified mezcal so uh you will see the phrase spirits distilled from agave in our bottle you won't see the word mezcal we work outside of the denomination of origin it basically lets us work with very small producers um, and we bottle things everything still strength with no water added no homogenization no intervention the way the guy makes it is the way that we're drinking it today so it's uh just a couple yeah cinco sentidos i'm gonna say mezcal all day we should too uh, the guys who make this call is mezcal. This is mezcal. But again, we do not go through that process to to put that word, like the word mezcal in our bottle. The majority of people listening to our show are whiskey drinkers, right? And not everybody has gone off and had mezcal. So explain the difference between a tequila, a mezcal. Like what are all those clear spirits coming from Mexico that are agave based? How are they defined? You know, to make a like a like a corollary that everyone can understand to a certain degree, this might offend some of my tequila loving friends out there. But in a nutshell, tequila is kind of like Walmart, and mezcal is the farmers' market. Uh, you know, there's a there's 130 tequila distilleries that produce over 2,200 registered brands, um, coming from basically three parts of tequila. And I do love some specific tequila. But mezcal is the exact flip it on the head. There's 10,000 small mezcal distilleries throughout the entire country. And there, I think there's maybe 500, 600 registered brands. So a lot of these people are doing very small batch productions. Their intended audience isn't the world. It's usually the neighbors. Um, people are, are using backyard uh, distillation techniques. Are you distilling in their backyards? They're also using a much wider variety of agaves. So I think we all know that tequila uh, legally needs to be distilled from blue agave, agave tequilana Weber, a type of agave variety that's pretty extensively farmed throughout Jalisco, parts of Michoacan, Nayarit, um, Tamaulipas. And in the world of mezcal, it's where things get a little funky, confusing. Of the 230, 245 identified species of agave, we know that people are making mezcal from 55 or 60 of those. So... Uh, the tequila to mezcal corollary is correct to a certain length, 
but it's actually kind of closer to wine. Uh, you know, you got hundreds of grape varieties with different sugar contents, different ter- uh, different terroirs where they like to take, and the same things with agave. So we find stuff in southern southern Mexico and Oaxaca, and these are species that you don't find sometimes twenty miles away. That kind of is what part of the reason why mezcal is such a micro local thing. It's a really cool expression of a village, and that village's techniques of making things. Is it one of those instances where some mezcal could technically be classified as a tequila as well because it was made with blue agave, but then some can't because it's made with a different agave altogether? You know, or I'm is my, that a bad way of looking at it? It's not a it's not a bad way of looking at it, but we are we're kind of we still are talking. I mean, we're talking apples and oranges, and yes, they're both fruit, but it's a. Uh, it's tough to say. I'm trying to think of a situation. I think there's like one place in Michoacan, the state of Michoacan, which shares the nomination of origin with both tequila and mezcal. But generally, I think the denominations of origin in Mexico are mutually exclusive. You can't make tequila, or you can't make mezcal in a tequila nom region, even if you're using blue agave. It's, it's tequila and vice versa. You know, no one can come down and bring blue Weber agave to Oaxaca and distill it and call it tequila it's it, that's mezcal's region well and it's kind of like champagne or bourbon at least with the united states right you could make whiskey outside the u.s that is 51 percent corn it's in a new charred white oak american barrel it didn't go in the the barrel over 125 proof it's not 160 proof and then at the same time you couldn't call it bourbon because you didn't make it in the u.s so it's totally just where you're making it as well as the plant that you're using to make it. Where you're making it, the plant you use, uh, what you're making with it. And, you know, I'm actually, for someone who opted out of the denomination of origin, I'm a lot less familiar with the, some of the ins and outs of the tequila denomination of origin than I am with mezcal. I could read that to you here backwards and forwards, but I uh, I can't tell you 100% about all everything tequila related. We're, we're kind of far away from Jalisco. I have, however, had some mezcals that are made from tequilana Weber. And it's really cool because this is what tequila used to taste like a hundred years ago. So if we're going to take take a step back for a second and talk about the history of agave spirits in Mexico, generally most people agree that this started in Western Mexico at the time. It was called Nueva Galicia, which is now modern day Jalisco, Nayarit. Filipinos bring over a uh, a type of still. It's called a Filipino still. It's the use of a hollowed out tree trunk. At the time, indigenous uh, indigenous inhabitants of Mexico were already roasting agave underground for, as a food source, and they were also already drinking fermented agave sap as kind of like a, a ritual beverage. So Filipinos come with Spaniards. Indigenous populations seize distillation technology at use, and they adopt it to cook agave. And until about 1850, 1860, maybe even in the 1900s, the phrase mezcal the, the, the word mezcal was always used to refer to an agave, and the long form to talk about tequila was vino de mezcal, wine from mezcal, wine from agave. And the most famous region at the time that was was making a good amount of high-quality mezcal was tequila. So they kind of broke off their own denomination of origin because saying vino de mezcal de tequila is kind of a mouthful. So <laughs> with time, it's just tequila. So tequila, the, the town of tequila fights to, to define their denomination of origin. 
they have their first attempt where they, you know, they, they, they define it locally in the fifties and then it goes through a few changes. And I think in the seventies, it becomes internationally recognized. So tequila takes the name from the most popular, like the biggest mezcal producing town. And in the meantime, mezcal technique process starts climbing to the north of the country, starts traveling to the, the south of the country. And you have other small producers who don't have the same infrastructure as Jalisco does doing the same techniques but with a different agave species. So that's probably a, a long answer to a question you didn't ask, but there you go. No, I find it super interesting. I think, Zeke, we should start a spirit called Nashville. Well, I, I mean, I don't <laughs> – I mean, honestly, I mean, the, I think from the get-go, my uh, my ignorance was, was bliss here, and I just know what I enjoy drinking, which is how this happened. But, you know, always been kind of phrased to me that – any tequila would be a mezcal, but not vice versa. But this seems like it it, it has more to do with the, the region or the I guess the the landscape, so to speak, of the area of the country it's coming out of. That that's actually absolutely right. What you just said, it, in theory, every type of tequila is technically a mezcal. A mezcal is like the granddaddy of agave spirits. Mezcal means uh, metal escali. Metal is agave. And Nahuatl, Scali means cooked agave, and basically any beverage that derives from cooked agave, from a, ling- a linguistic standpoint, not from a denomination of origin standpoint, is a mezcal first and foremost. And then you have tequila, you have bacanora from Sonora, you have ricea from Jalisco as well, but Western Jalisco, you have, and you obviously have mezcal in, in Oaxaca and a few different states as well. But people will call this different names based on the region, and it's the same thing. Tutsi, um, yeah, vino de vino de la oh, damn. <laughs> Tootsie. <laughs> we have Tootsies uh, here. <laughs> and they actually have their own moonshine now. <laughs> so you could go get Tootsies and bring it back to Tootsie and uh they they'd probably get a kick out of it. I don't follow you here, man. Tootsie Oh it's a it's a bar here. Sorry. Oh, okay, yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> no, I, I was afraid I'd lose you on that. I was, was thinking like yeah, Tootsie rolls. I was like, no. what? Like they're branching <laughs> out to something totally different, man. Congrats. No, it's a very, very, very famous country music bar in downtown Nashville called Tootsies, and they actually have their own moonshine now. It's, I think that's awesome, right? It's probably GNS moonshine. Okay. It's quote unquote moonshine, but right. it's really not like the white light than you get. And I think there's a lot of similarity in what you're talking about with everybody in their backyard stills to like moonshine in Appalachia. And it's not really intended. There might be a hell of a lot of stills out there in the hills and the mountains, but they're not intending to go to market with it. It's really just for themselves and their neighbors. Yeah. And I mean, I think at the end of the day, I don't know if you guys have distilled it or not, but it's fun. If we did, we wouldn't be able to tell you about it. (laughs) Um, I still have both my eyebrows, so clearly I have not been near anything like that. (laughs) What is the take down there? Like, are the authorities getting on them for having backyard stills, or is that pretty acceptable to not have a regulated still that way? I'm not sure how much I can answer that either. No, I, uh... (laughs) It's a cultural product. This is something that's existed for, we know, to be about 400 years. Um, again, most mezcal makers today, to this date are still making things most for local and personal consumption. Um, I think it's a thing where they may not be registered. Some t- not all of them might be registered with tax authorities, but the tax authorities aren't that interested in taxing someone's 150 liter a year production. You know, I so. wish it was the same here, man. I really <laughs> do. 
So so and so has their traveling still, and you know they come by every six to eight months. And all right, that should be enough to last you for a while, right? Sure thing. Thank you. See you again. Now that we got the history out of the way, I feel like we have a base of understanding mezcal. How did you like? Tell us a little bit about your story. How did you end up down in Mexico owning a mezcal company? So I would I would just a couple of things. One, I have not have a base understanding still in mezcal. This is a m- massively broad category. I am being very facetious. <laughs> when okay, I say okay, okay, okay. <laughs> now that we have the first ten <laughs> minutes of the podcast and we have a base to build from, now right. tell us you're, how you you're still a light years ahead of us. So again, this is this is as much learning as it is fun, obviously. <laughs> Damn, this is a story I have to tell every day. Uh, <laughs> so I'm sorry. I, it's, no, just, it's, it's just interesting. I think some people would want to know. I mean, you're oh, from yeah. Indiana, right? and you ended up in Mexico, yeah. and then you ended up owning your own spirits company. I mean, not everybody has that story. It's a valid point. Which is probably why you have to tell it every day. <laughs> so I went down to Oaxaca, um, and I was telling Zeke this before we went on air. That's why I'm saying, damn, again? No, yeah. uh so we, uh, I went down to Oaxaca for the first time about seven years ago. Um, before being involved in this industry, I, I was an interpreter. So I worked in hospitals, um, and I mostly worked with, you know, I mean, I worked 100% with Hispanic, Spanish-speaking patients. And at that time, uh, I enjoyed that job quite a bit. I was living in Columbus, Ohio, but I was looking to kind of move up in the world of interpreting and work in courtrooms. So I've been studying for about a year, learning legal, legal terminology, and as my exam ex- ex- approached... I realized that uh, I did not know how to speak good Mexican Spanish. I learned my Spanish in Panama. So I decided to book a, a trip about for a month, go to a language school, learn a little bit more about slang and how to talk like you know a real human being and not a textbook. As fortune had it, I ended up in Oaxaca of all places. I heard there was good food there. That's about all I knew about it. Within hours after being off of a plane, I was at a mezcal tasting, um, you know, hosted by someone who's in the industry who, you know, to this day I still look up to. And it was, was like eye-opening. You know, I never heard of it before. I never tasted it before. I really wasn't a neat spirits drinker before it happened. And, you know, within an hour, an hour and a half, my world was just turned on its head. Um, so, you know, within a few days' time, I, I, you know, I rented a car on the weekends and I wanted to go out and visit producers and start asking questions. And given, you know, I am a fully fluent Spanish speaker at this times, and and I'm not shy. So it was just like, let's go see what's out there, you know? And um, just meeting some great people, tasting some incredible stuff. And uh, I went back to the States, you know, with a, a bunch of unlabeled bottles and, uh, and a suitcase and a bunch of enthusiasm. I could present my exam, but in the meantime, I'm hanging out with friends, drinking it, watching YouTube videos about it, trying to find like the only book written about it at the time in English. I'm like, I think I know more than this already. But, uh, you know, I realized that to me it was like, this is a massive, cool undertaking. Not a lot of people know anything about it. And, you know, I'm 27. I got, I passed my exam. I've got a guaranteed career in my life. Why don't I go back and see what I can do? So I move back, I go back to Oaxaca with a four or five month open, t- you know, t- a ticket. I get a job at a mezcal bar within my second day. Every day I'm like sneaking little pours in the back bar and hanging out with my buddy at the time, who's now my business partner. And uh, within three months, you know, I mean, it was actually, it was after, you know, pretty long mezcal session. We're just kind of like halfway off our rockers and kind of complaining about where we work. You know, both of us like, man, if I were running this place, things would be different, you know, (laughs) as I'm sure every service industry person does all the time. And we're just like, well, shit, let's do it. Don't worry. Everybody who works at any job that they aren't the owner has that at some point. 
And I'm so happy that we coincided on that because basically our 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 half-ass plan was all right, man. Well, I love mezcal, and I've already met producers like I'll do the beverage program. And my buddy is a is a hell of a chef, and he's like, yeah, man, I'll do the food. And like no business plan, no investors. We looked at one place, which is where our, my restaurant is today. Um, you know, like the like the landlady was like, "All right, like <laughs> <laughs> we got a we got a sucker right yeah, here. Like, I'll cut you a deal." <laughs> I'm sure you guys will last at least a year. Let's sign the contract. And, uh, you know, we, we did it. We built it from ground up. We lived in the back room for the fr- like, we lived in back rooms for the first couple, four or five months. We couldn't get a liquor license. So we were kind of a speakeasy thing. Cafe during the, the day, invited people to come back at night, drink our mezcal collection. And in the meantime, on any off day, I'm driving around in the country, picking up, you know, five, 10, 20 liters of some cool juice and then sharing it with people. So slowly but surely, we kind of built out a brand and a package and, and we built flights. And I think we had eight or 10 different mezcals to try when we first started. You know, first it was the restaurant, then it was the brand. I think nowadays we've got 40, 45 expressions on our back bar from 10 different producers, um, all under our own label. And a liquor license. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> edit. Insert the edit. No, we got that. We got that after a year, man. That was a trip, too. We were running things. We were not a profitable business. Uh, we went to the states to do pop ups to like get some U.S. dollars, keep the like the business alive. And uh, they call. I got like you know I get an unknown number coming in, and I'm like, well, you know, don't usually answer these. They're generally extortion calls. But uh, what's up? Hello, we've got your liquor license. Like, oh, great. They're like, yeah, you got to come in today and pay it in cash. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm in San Francisco, man. They're like, well, we're going to find you. It's hundred dollars every day. It's like. <laughs> I'll be there tomorrow. Yeah, I was like, uh, man, fortunately, talk about a leap of faith, man. I mean, to make some of this happen, my barber at the time, he was our partner. He was the Mexican dude who helped us get all our paperwork. And I just hit him up like, hey, man, can you like go to the municipality and pay $6,500? Like, I'll get you back in about five days. <laughs> uh, and now we're like, man, we got to really hustle on this pop-up. <laughs> it's yeah. like, you know, we had to go pay it. Uh, but yeah, we got it. And then we opened our doors. And, you know, since then, we're, we've, um, you know, we're a well-established place. We're a little... On the food side of things, you know, we do contemporary Mexican food, Oaxacan ingredients, global technique. Um, and I'd like to think that we have a pretty good beverage program, too. Is the restaurant still Cinco Sentidos or is it? It's called a El Destilado, which means a distillate. Um, so kind of the, the food side of thing is like, you know, we think we feel like we're distilling the essence of certain ingredients and, and turning them into something a little bit different. Transformational, I guess, at the end of the day. Yeah. And then we got, a, like I said, we, we got a few different bottles kicking back there, too. So what's your specialty at the restaurant when we come down? Because I have a feeling that like this is going to continue to snowball and Zeke's going to be like, hey, I booked us two tickets to go to Mexico, bring the microphones. <laughs> We're going to see the Five Sentitos guy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, we... Uh... <laughs> He's going to take us around to all these different Mezcal places. And I got it set up. I just, I just, just, I just show what up. I need to tell the right people to get me there from the airport to, uh, you know, the final destination. If I can just have some uh, three by five note cards, I can probably say half the words kind of correctly. Man, this is kind of an aside, but you know how like at, at airports, sometimes there's like canned mechanic like mechanic mechanicalized i don't know robot voices were like boarding puerto vallarta the one in the mexico city airport doesn't even say oaxaca right so <laughs> if you, the what like it's in mexico city and it's like next flight to waxaca so if you get close to waxaca you'll be all right but uh we are um I mean, what can i say man what we do for specialty 
we do tasting menus, man. We do high, we do like a high end fully, like a dining experience. Um, six courses, nine courses, 12 courses. What's on our menu today is going to be different, you know, in a couple months. It's, it's all seasonality. And then we have a little casual rooftop spot with some good tacos, tostadas, ceviches, aguachiles. We got a brilliant chef. You know, I got very lucky with this, this this kid out of Jalisco who just has a different mentality about how to take food that he's grown up with and, and present it in a really next level way. That sounds like a place here, the catbird seat. The menu's different all the time. They do five courses. They pair it with drinks. And it is like a three-month wait still to get a reservation. I mean, it was for a while, but I mean, it, it's not something that you could be like, oh, I think we should go to the catbird seat tonight. You know, like it's not happening. Kind of the same way. I mean, it's, 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 it's seasonal in Oaxaca, right? So we book out a couple months in advance when it's, when it's high season. And then, but that's why we have the casual spot too. You know, a lot of people show up, you're on vacation, you don't make reservations. So we've got a, like a nice fun spot. It's relaxed, plays good tunes. It's open air and you can eat kind of like on a, on a budget too. Kid from Indiana by way of Ohio goes down to Mexico Probably not coming home anytime. Is Mexico's home at this point, right? Mexico's home. Um, you know, I've been there for seven years and I can't, I, I do really enjoy coming back to the States, but every time I come home, you know, I go, go home to Oaxaca, um, I'm happy to be back too, you know, and I think this is a thing that's, uh, has never felt totally certain, but I think especially since the pandemic where I spent a year straight there and I was like, you know, I really like this place. Um, so I can't, I can't see myself in the States. I don't know where, you know, someday. And I don't really want to. I mean, my, my, my work is really hands-on. Um, I work with 10 different producers from 10 different villages. If we wanted to visit a mall on the same day, we'd be in a car for 24 hours straight. So it's, they're all over the place. It's a very relationship-based um, business model that we have. And uh, I can't imagine, you know, outsourcing that to somebody too. And like, oh, tell Delfino. I said, hello. You know, people... The people I work with, again, they're all families and the people who treat me like family too. So it's, uh, I have a bunch of families basically and I gotta, I gotta, I gotta balance them out between here and there. So explain how that works a little bit because essentially you're an NDP, you're procuring Mezcal. So you're a non-distilling producer, Mm -hmm. but you're procuring Mezcal from different places and it's just, you're picking out of their stuff, what you think is the best, or are you just saying, Hey, I need X amount (laughs) and you trust them at this point. We don't, we don't work like in the the latter example you mentioned. It's one of the things as a, as a brand principle, we don't have production calendars with anybody. You know, it's not one of these things where we're going to say, hey, man, PM Spirits is saying, I got to get a thousand liters of Espadine up there. So come on. We have agreements with certain families where it's a given. What you make, I trust you. I believe in you. Oftentimes the mezcal is paid for before it's made, you know, and sell me what you can or what you want out of the batch. I mean, almost everyone holds on to a portion for themselves and their in their community. So they're, they're, I mean, it's, it's a different relationship with virtually everybody. You know, there's three or four producers now. We've known them for six years. We trust in, in, in their hand, their work. So we'll take it. You know, we'll take it. I haven't tasted it, but I know you count on me. And there's some other producers who I've gotten to know more recently. And, and, and uh, you know, we, we pick certain things. We leave other things behind. The goal, I think, would have that same type of trust and the same type of um, consistency and quality. So that they know that they make a batch and it's done, you know, in a way that we think is is the best you can get out of a Yergabe, then we're going to take it and we'll, we'll share it with our friends in the States. We'll share it in Europe. We'll share it at the restaurant. One of the things 
that I don't think the whiskey community completely understand. And there's going to be some people out there that understand mezcal, but you're not distilling like you do for a still in like, say a distillery here that's making whiskey. It's one of those things you're actually heating with fire, wood and mesquite, and you're actually cooking the pot rather than, all right, I'm going to flip a button and now my still's on, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Power up. Um, remind me to do this if this is something that makes sense for you guys, whether it's on your website or your Instagram. I'll send you guys a series of photos of the different stills of the guys we work with because they are vastly different than what I think most people know distilleries to be. Um, you know, the stuff that we have on the table that we're going to taste here, these little the palenques or distilleries, you know, one of them would fit in the house we're in right now. You know, they're small. They really are backyard, small stuff. People using clay pots, um, you know, top-down stills that have 80 liters threshold for mash. You know, the bigger guys we work with are using 300-liter uh, copper alembic stills. Um, so, you know, something that I think in other places you might be like hobby distilling with, you know. But that's that's the tools of the trade down there. I don't think there's anyone in the world of mezcal that's using like a column still or uh, using much automa- automation. It's it's almost always distilled over an open flame. You are regulating your temperature basically on your eyesight and your knowledge of how wood burns. <laughs> you know, like, and, oh, okay, cool. You know, I mean, you want to you get a ripping and then you want to leave your coal behind. And then you got to have someone around. It's not just hit a button and walk away. You got to have someone around to actually adjust your fire. Because um, if you're ripping it hot, your, your mezcal comes out hot too. It's a it's a very ma- very very manual process from the harvest, from the mashing, from the distillation, um, you know. And then oftentimes people blending with you know a sight check, just checking out the pearls or the bubbles that form when you agitate it, um, or they're blending to taste. They're not blending to a number with a machine. So you mentioned as well um, forty five expressions from ten different producers. What kind of yields are, are – how do you arrive at the different expressions from the same producers? Because honestly, I, I don't think we have a clue. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, this is one of these things where, again, we're, we're kind of um, – we're different in the way that we run our brand. Some brands are going to go, we're always going to have these three expressions in stock. We understand that the type of wild agave that we use is not always an available supply. And when it's around, it's around. When it's not, it's not. These are 60 liter batches, 100 liter batches, sometimes 300 liter batches. And that's about the biggest thing we've ever bottled. You know, we 300 liters and we could put it all right here on the table and it would fit, which is kind of insane when you think about that's a month's worth of work. What we're trying to accomplish with our brand is that Cinco Sentidos is synonymous with high quality agave spirits, but not necessarily is I've got to have that espadine and that espadine always needs to be in stock. Um, it's more about, oh, cool, this is what they've got out right now. Let's get it and enjoy it. And, yeah. it's, and it's guaranteed to be different than the last batch you picked up. And it's almost guaranteed that you're, you know, you're gonna, if you're not going to like it, it is at least at the very least, it's a, it is a well-made spirit. You know, we do. I'm really particular. I taste all this stuff all the time. I'm sure you guys uh, enjoy tasting a lot. But sometimes <laughs> it can be, you know, it can also be kind of uh, give you a bit of fatigue sometimes. But everything, everything we bring up goes through a taste test to make sure that it's 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 right, it's well done. So kind of I guess similar to the restaurant where if it's in season and it tastes good and it works out, and lack of better words, it's available, we roll with it. Uh, exactly. If it's not, then oh well. But it, at least we have a place for it when it comes around, and we can make sure we put it in the right bottle and you know label it correctly. So let me put it this way: Would you feel suspicious at a, if you were at like a, a restaurant and they still had mussels available at eleven thirty p.m.? <laughs> You know, you don't order the oysters at 1130. They should be out 
You know what I mean? Like you just, I, you know, we, I, got I, what we got, it's fresh and it's from today and now we don't have anymore. Yeah. Tuesday I met some buddies at a, a, a local barbecue place here and bullshitting the whole time the line and go to order without looking at the board. They're out of chicken, out of pork, out of turkey. All they had left was brisket and ribs. You're barbecue restaurant and all you have left is brisket and ribs. Something didn't go right today. I mean, but good stuff runs out. Well, you know, I mean, that's what, I'm saying, like that, that's what was so funny is being in the South, the things you would expect to be gone first. I gotcha. That's all they had left. And it's like, ooh, maybe we, we didn't go to the right spot today. Um, so uh, of the expressions you have today, which path do you want to lead us down here? Just so you know, this is the part of the podcast where Zeke wakes up. So he lets me go through all the questions and the setup with you. And now he's like, all right, I'm here. <laughs> I'm here. I'm good now. I see you got some booze over there. Yeah. This is the part where Zeke perks up. John's the intro where everybody nods off. I I give the backstory. (laughs) He said to wake me up a couple of times. Like, Zeke. All right, so we have five different bottles on the table and then a whole bunch of sample bottles because we might be doing a pick here with our buddy Tark from Elixir Spirits. And not to, I guess, short change or discredit i think probably the middle part of this which would be um procurement more distilling obviously more than happy to talk about that as we taste these yeah i just think that for most people that have maybe seen mezcal in a bar never ordered it rarely tasted it i'm gonna assume there's a lot of different varieties here for things that look just like a a clear spirit quote unquote and i think most people here um, in the states see a clear spirit they think of vodka gin and the same two to three or zero flavors um i mean it's true you know um i I just think that's you know a very bad misconception so i i feel like we'd be doing a disservice if we didn't kind of you know dive into some things and, and allow people to you know at least hear from us the different things we can pick up from you know the same product but different expressions well let's get into it because we have a lot of it and a short amount of time how do you typically do this? I just do it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> no, we got, I mean, it depends on what we have on the table. Um, it's kind of cool that today we're starting with, um, you know, in Nashville, we've been running around with nine different expressions, which is pretty, pretty amazing, actually. You know, we, we, we'd only usually roll with four or five different expressions um, in a market at a given time. Let's pick three for the podcast. Sure. And then we'll probably have the others after we stop recording, but just three yeah. that you think we should try. So we've got an expression poured. I obviously, I will let you share all the fun details regarding. I think kind of a question that happened offline, but we did talk about terroir for a minute. And if that played into different expressions, and obviously correct me if I missed something, but if that doesn't weigh in, what does lead to the the wide variance of expression and profile and, and the taste that we get from, you know, the umbrella of mezcal? I think the, the, the closest analogy as to like why certain mezcal tastes the way that it tastes is kind of like, why can you have 15 different types of barbecue? You know, it's uh, what ingredients are you using? What type of firewood are you using? You know, how are you building your sauce? Yeah, how long you can do a dry rub or et cetera, et cetera, right? Everyone, when you become a flavor maker, you have a wide set of preferences, a wide set of options to do certain things in A, B, or C method. This is part of the reason, you know, like when I mentioned you might have nine different bottles of Cinco Sentido somewhere, it's not nine of the same things. Um, These are nine different stories. 
sometimes made from four or five different people with different methods and they're tend to be local preferences. We talk about terroir and the plants that we use for mezcal are are beautiful. They're noble. They're unusual. They're not around the world. They're remarkably important, but it's just as important as who is processing them. You know, at what age are you going to cut your agave? Uh, how much are you going to shave it down? Because if you leave a little bit of leaves on the, on the, on the penca, if you leave a little leaves on the pina, the heart, you're going to get something that might have a little more of a bitter profile, but you're trading that in for more mass. Um, what type of firewood are you roasting with? How long are you roasting? Are you going to let it sit there for 10, 12 days, kind of let it pre-ferment and get funky, decompose a little bit before you open up that oven and start mashing it? You know, how are you mashing it? How do you make your fiber? Are you doing it with a big old bat? Are you running it through a mechanical grinder and having a bunch of gas smoke and smell kind of invade your distillery? Are you using it to hone it or crush things and have a very ununiform type of fiber? What kind of water are you fermenting with? Spring water, well water, high calcium content, is it relatively neutral? And then you're still, you know, not only does it matter if you're using a clay pot still, there's about five different types of clay pot stills in Oaxaca based on where you're buying your clay from. 80 liter stills, 50 liter stills, 120 liter stills, different forms. So think though that this vapors in the boil down and condense in a different way. And then how do you proof? It's it's a remarkable. I mean, we we on our back labels you see a big block of text. Nowadays not everyone likes to read Zeke, but uh <laughs> you know when you- Zeke doesn't like writing either. So don't I, worry. I, I actually that's one of the things I, I I try to dive into when I can, honestly. If if it's something <laughs> I don't have a clue about, I will sit there and study it decently. No, but these are these are things that, you know, when when you're getting into Mescal and you see this block of text and you know, set text saying Tio Pedro made this from a town called Santa Catarina Minas and you know, you use this type of agave and you roast it for five days and you go, Oh, well, that's an interesting thing. And then when you you know, a year into this thing, when you started to get into it and you go, Oh man, it's from Santa Catarina Minas, that means I know it's made in clay pot stills, because that's a village that exclusively distills in clay. And it's got a certain profile because they've got certain ambient yeast that are around in that region. They have a different way of producing that 20 miles down the road, they're doing copper stills, different agave varieties, different composition of the spirit. They're mezcals, but they're worlds apart, even though they're 20, 15 miles away from each other. So Uh, how crazy does your tasting notes get for mezcal with the different places? I mean, because I think there's always kind of with agave-based spirits – I feel like a jackass because whenever I take a big old whiff, I'm like, oh, well, I get the the agave, you know, like, and it's kind of like people that do whiskey and they're like, well, I smell corn. And then <laughs> I, I definitely get a smokiness. I, which one are we drinking? We're drinking right? the Espadine right here. So there's a smokiness, but I almost wonder, like, if you know the different types of wood, are you then able to discern just from nose alone, like, oh, I I know they used this wood, or is that, like, tribal knowledge that you know based off what the villages are doing and how they're cooking it? You know, we will occasionally do blind stuff, which is, you know, obviously a really good exercise to train your palate and understand how much you know or don't know. I can pick up region mostly by smelling. So, uh, you know, a lot of mezcal from this particular village, Santa Catarina Minas, they just have a profile that I would like to say, I mean, let me take a step back and try to say this again. When we're talking about tasting notes, I'm going to use an example that I picked up from a producer we work with. Brought some visitors out there. We're drinking a great, beautiful, recently distilled uh, mezcal from an agave called Sierra Negra. 
and everyone's waxing, right? Like, wow, this is dusty and it's earthy and it's like my grandma's basement and it's got a little bit of red fruit to it and it's like licking a salt mine. And, you know, it's like all these things are getting more and more. It's like, yeah, it's like that one time it rained that one time. Uh, and, and uh, you know, but we're having a good time. And someone, you know, says, involve Alberto. They say, well, Alberto, like, what are your tasting notes on this? And he goes, it's a Sierra Negra that I made. It's my mezcal. It tastes like me. <laughs> and seven years into this, that's kind of where my tasting notes are now. It's not so much like I know that there's certain things that I, I, I think about and I smell and I detect. But amongst a mezcal friend, I'm like, oh, cool, man. That smells a lot like slate. It's probably from Sol de Vega. Or like this has got a right, really nice unctuousness. Like the volume of this, the way that this sits on the palate, this is almost definitely for Minas. Uh, Santa Catarina Minas. So it's one of those things at this point, you know. Um, and it's a fun experience, but I think every year that I'm, every another year that I'm doing this, tasting it, being down there, it's just that the, the palate continues to develop and it just sees things and frames things differently. So of all those different variables listed earlier, how many of them, I guess, have much um, science behind them? Or is it really just spending time with each kind of individual producer picking up tidbits you can from them and i guess almost kind of trial and error asking them like hey this batch has this this one didn't i would just presume you you throw out there like what what did you do different to to get this difference in profile Uh, that's a good question it it, just like everything in this world right it's kind of a person by person basis Mm -hmm. Some people are a little more technified and they understand that this they had a, a long fermentation and then it got colder and it gave them a different flavor profile or a lower ABV. Um, and there are other people who are, you know, bluntly, I mean, people who are, like I said, friends and family. It's my mezcal, man. It's not different than the last batch. Like, it's, you know, which I would say it's 2% ABV different, you know, or like this mm-hmm. is a little bit brighter, this is a fruitier. And it's like, yeah, it's the mezcal I just made. <laughs> you know, like it's it's tough to answer that question to a certain degree. I think people just, they know what they know very well. And at the end of the day, really none of these guys make mistakes. Sure. You know, it's not like I've met, you know, there's one producer we've been able to talk about like, hey, this is a little flabby. This is more tails than, you know, mm-hmm. it should have had. And he's like, yeah, no, we, you picked up on that too, huh? <laughs> so, <laughs> Damn, uh, you got me. <laughs> but, but, you know, it's not, it's not that much about like, uh, no one's, very few people were going to be like, yeah, this is a prolonged fermentation, man. I got a little lactic. You sure. pick the cheese up or not? <laughs> yeah. um, you know, we talk about yield. We talk about sweetness, viscosity, um, but maybe not compare it to other flavors. The word chamomile has never come up with producers before. Yeah. And there's a guy who makes mezcal that smells like chamomile, you know, but it's just one of these things like, why would you talk about that? You know? So I don't know if that answers your question or not. No, I mean, that's what I would assume to a fair degree that it's on a very, you know, obviously a basic local level of what do you mean? Like, I made it. If I thought it was bad, I, I wouldn't give it to you and I'd throw it out back probably, but I made it and I'm proud of it. And if it varies, oh, well, that's just how Mother Nature renders the product that we're trying to make based on the weather, the day, the 10 other factors that are just intrinsic, but no one can plan or, or you know, scope out ahead of time. I, that's a good point. And, and, and even that people have that sensation of that feeling. They don't always put it to words. You know, it can, it's as simple as, you know, seeing a producer three weeks. I know last time I saw them, they're fermenting and I'm out there. How'd it go, man? And they're like, nos fue bien. You know, we had a, things came out good and there's not much more to say about it. You know, just like taste it and, and, and that's, it speaks for itself. So we're sipping an Espadine. 
Uh, Manispadine is probably the most common agave variety you find up here in the States. It's kind of the workhorse, if you will. So it's a, it's a cousin to the, um, Tequilana Weber plant. They are genetically related to a certain degree. And you tend to find these because they have a quote unquote short lifetime, six, seven, eight years to reach harvest. Um, they have a decently high sugar content. Um, and they're fairly easy to cultivate. You know, they're, they're, they're not uh, plants that give you much, uh, much trouble when you're trying to, to, to plant them and grow them. Most mezcal that you see these days crafted for mespedine tends to be kind of larger batch. You know, look for a bottle number uh, when you can on mezcal because I think it's important to tell you. It tells you about the scale of the operation. And when someone's got a bottle of 2,495, you know, it's it's kind of an indicator that they're tanking stuff. It's not single batch. You know, we can use the phrase artisanal craft all we want but mm-hmm. so let's put another one because i'd like to go side by side so yeah. we have the espadine what's another one that you would say like out of your top three mezcals that people should try that's responsible you doing the side by side man i already finished my first pour let's say i have something from a different producer different region uh, this is also distilled in clay pots but also a different agave variety so i mentioned uh, some mezcal distilled from uh, the agave variety called sierra negra Sierra Negra is a cultivated agave variety. It takes between 12 and 15 years to reach maturity. It's rare. You know, not many people still cultivate these these days. And um, Alberto's a master at making mezcal from this agave variety. It's interesting because already right now I could tell you the Espadine is more, it's more of like a burnt smoke. Like it, it's almost like that campfire, like that smell that you get when you even get near the fire this is not that the first one i thought to me was like really fresh lit wood like i could pick that up on it from Mm -hmm. a fruit aspect side i I thought it was somewhat a little more dry bitter's not the word but like a a drier fruit that kind of parches the tongue and i thought it was really big on the front part of the palate Um, it, it, it jumped there and again like to me, in my mind, just visual kind of thing, I, I would just see wood that had been, you know, freshly rip-roaring going. You know, you, it, I felt like that aspect of the wood really got in there well. I could be completely wrong, but just the the components that I picked up on it, at least. This Sierra Negra, I think it's fruitier than the Espadine, but I'm almost getting, like, fresh-cut lumber opposed to that freshly lit wood wetter yeah yeah i see that but to me this this kind of like set i feel like there's maybe a little longer fermentation or something to it now we could be completely bullshit yeah. so <laughs> yeah. like he's just yeah, no. i keep putting like, to me like well you're zero for eight what do you want to do next <laughs> it's like me trying to say you guys uh, tarak's we, name we can drink some bourbon guys by no means was that a uh, an, kidding, an implication of not enjoying it uh, you know again just trying to figure out like we're looking at, I think we're looking at you trying to see, are we right at all? And you are giving us the blankest yeah. expression, right? Your, your poker face is in full effect. I feel like this was a, the, the same expression he gave his friends when he came back the first time to, to <laughs> Indiana. And it was like, you got to try this shit, man. It's great. <laughs> Here's what I taste. Ugh. Oh, no, <laughs> or not uh, from them, but you know, the blank stare of like. This is not what I expected. It's <laughs> like when people used to go tell. De- so there's funny stories of 
people going up to whiskey distillers saying, yeah, I really like this. I get this, 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 and this, and this whiskey, and it's really good. They look back at him and go, really? Because I didn't put any of that in here. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's, that's like that Alberto story. It's like, yeah, well, it tastes like Sierra Negra. It tastes like the mezcal I made. It doesn't taste like anything else. This is, um, no, I'm with you. This is one of these things we're mentioning. Like, I feel like, again, the parameters of your palate and the lexicon you use evolve with a bit of time. No, I know uh, Tarak has been exposed to a lot more mezcal. He may not, I could be wrong, but he You say his name. name much better than I do. <laughs> <laughs> no. It's just Barack with a T, dude. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> 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 I just get in my head because like the, you know, in 2016, I messed up his name so much that I just get in my head. But we are hanging out with our good friend from Elixir Spirits tonight and we will be picking and this is a little teaser. I don't know if we're going to come back on here at the end and say what we did or not, but we are going to do a mezcal pick that will be at Elixir Spirits. It will be a Dad's Drinking Bourbon Elixir Spirits collaboration. You have to go see Tarak to get it. You can't get it through us. You can't get it anywhere else. You have to go to Elixir Spirits whenever this is ready, and our boy here will hook you up. Sorry, what were you going to say? Oh, that's dope. Uh, I'm, I'm into it. Uh, basically, what I was trying to say is that you know the more mezcal you get, you get exposed to, the less you taste wood, fire, smoke, and the more you taste fruit, ferment, vegetal, um, earth, dirt, minerality, and and I think that is just I, the same way. I think if we tried a few different bourbons right now, I'd be like, huh, yeah, these are this kind of tastes like uh, bourbon uh, to me. <laughs> you know, like I don't have a palate built for it at all. I can't, and it you know, but my past seven years have been formed by mezcal um well and i think that's the thing at least for me like what i try to get out of things like this is i'm saying things trying to prod you because yeah. i want to expand my palate and i want to know where i should be going mm -hmm. and it's like how far off am i we we do a fun thing now where every once in a while we'll get a famous person on and we'll blind them on whiskey interview them about their life and their career but at the same time say all right well what do you think about whiskey number one and we recently had on a country music star and every single time he's like well i smell the alcohol it's like the kendall jenner tasting notes i don't know if you saw those or not the uh when she started her mezcal brand someone noticed on her social media she had a notepad like you with tasting notes and i was like number one good <laughs> number two strong and she was like, I've been, I was like, I've been studying this stuff and learning it. And I picked the best mezcal out there. I was like, you are not, those are not good tasting notes, lady. <laughs> well, when I do a barrel pick, those are like my, so it's not good or strong or things like that. But when I do a barrel pick, I'm literally trying to get one note from each barrel. Like what is the one encompassing thing? So sometimes I might taste it and be like, this is chocolate. This is too hot. This is what, I, you know, like, and I'm just trying to figure out what is that perfect barrel. So sometimes I understand. I mean, Kendall Jenner good is not yeah. a. I was going to say, like, <laughs> tasting that. That example, I, 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 I wouldn't want to apply to, to any of us here, but <laughs> I, I did think it was also similar, though. You know, you talked about when you first dove into it and and picking up maybe more nuances or, or looking to find those and observing them. Versus as you get more and more familiar and then you just kind of focus on the few subtle differences. So you, you jot down or you notice less to a degree, although you're also kind of noticing more. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like that's very similar for, you know, most people as they work through bourbon, whiskey, or probably any spirit. 
you know, you get there and you think you like something and then you dive in and then you spend a while kind of exploring and, and really trying to learn yourself probably. Yeah. But then once you get to that point, it's like, you know, I, I, I'm not going to need 10 minutes to figure out which one I liked or, or this or that. Like, give me two sips of this and two sips of that. And I can tell you the, the two things that I feel like make it stand out in the right, right or wrong direction. But either way, it, it's kind of funny to come full circle from not being able to say much to the phase where you could probably say more than enough. And then you just say a little again, but it's in a completely different context and much more meaningful. That finish on the Sierra Negra is amazing. That is a unique. If there's one thing I'm taking away from that pour is the finish. It hangs. Yeah. It hangs out a while. It's uh this is this is something that now this I think this was batch number eleven that we we uh, had bottled from Sierra Negra, right? This historically, like in terms of putting this in front of mezcal drinkers, has been one of the more cerebral mezcals you get. The Sierra Negra. There's a lot to unpack. So I I agree with you 100 percent when we you have initial impressions. This is one that you let hang out in your glass for 20 minutes and watch it evolve. And when you give this mezcal to 10 different people, you get 10 different tasting notes. Anywhere from lactic to stone fruit to dust to chocolate to tobacco. And I, that's exciting to me, actually. Like, yeah. I, I like, I'm like, oh, cool. Because people are generally enthusiastic about it. They're not like, oh, it tastes like chocolate. You know, but, and it's like, that's cool that you get that because he got cedar. Um, yeah. And, and well, what I like about that, there. too, is one, I feel like it's one of the things that if you have someone that's completely naive or even you know skeptical, here's a quarter of an ounce. Just, just nose it a little bit, try it a little bit. Don't run away, but but come into it open with, with an open mind. They're going to tinker with that. I would venture to say most people be like, I need a little bit more. Like I can't quite figure it out. Like it just makes your mind spin up where they, you know, I can't figure it out. And I thought I wasn't going to like it, but I kind of do, and I kind of want to try it again. And you know, I just think it's very inviting once you, you, you know, anyone that was close minded to the spirit. You know, just let themselves go and, and dive in a little bit. I think that's one of the best perspectives you can take towards this too. Um, you know, when you can go into a, with mezcal with a preconceived conception, I might hit you guys with a blank face when one of the first things you talked about with the espadine with smoke because it's like when I feel like to an inexperienced drinker, I could serve them a glass of tequila and tell them it's mezcal and say, "What do you think it tastes like?" And they'd be like, "Pretty smoky," because we have that perception. That mezcal is smoky. I mean, people, I've, I might die a happy man if I never hear someone say, that's like a smoky tequila, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, because it's, it's this thing that when, when it was introduced to the market, um, 15, 20 years ago, it just happened to be that the first brands that kind of broke into the States happened to have pretty smoky mezcal. But um, you have to admit that Espadine. The Espadine has it, smoke. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, it, like yeah, I had the smoke, other yeah. two, and yeah. the other two are not like that. <laughs> That's true. And, and I have to think that it's probably clay pot with a mesquite wood. He's actually, he's roasting with oak. Um, now, I, you know, this is something that, like, if we want to get into nuance, and this is probably, you might just cut this out, but... No, I mean, but the clay pot probably has to impart smoke more than another still wood. You do cook the agave with firewood, but I there's a, I think there's a valid point to say that you're putting an open flame right below a clay pot for 36-hour distillation run. Yeah, smoke is going to make its way through that porous surface and get into the mash. Uh, this particular producer, you know, he works with his nephew, and when he's running the still, he's 72. He doesn't always lean all the way in and scrape every single last morsel out when he's changing the mash. His nephew, on the other hand, is a clean freak. So when his when I know when I know when I know his nephew is distilled, you get brighter mezcals 
And I know when Tio Pater's done it, you go, cool, man, this guy, I got a little bit of burnt ends in here. I happen to like burnt ends. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it's even one of those things, you know, where just some of that mash got stuck in the little boiling pot. And then the next time you throw the mash in and it just releases a bit of that smoky burnt flavor. Yeah, and when it's mo- in moderation, it's tasty. It's good. Going back to what you were saying where you never want to hear anybody say it's smoky tequila. I think your analogy of the farmer's market versus like Walmart is a very good analogy because – The farmer's market, it's the people coming from the farm and they're bringing the corn directly there. They're bringing the meat directly there. And sometimes there might be a bug in there. Sometimes there might be, you know, like (laughs) sometimes there are things in the stuff that comes directly from the farmers that has not gone through a whole processing plant like Walmart does. Totally. I kind of look at tequila as it's too clean for me sometimes. It's like you're drinking it and you know what you're going to get, but you're not going to get more. And that's what I like about Mezcal is that, yeah, some are smoky, some aren't, but there's more depth. It's like my problem with Jack Daniels. Like, I love Jack Daniels Barrel Proof, but the 80 Proof Jack Daniels, it's their mass-produced thing. There's not a lot of nuance. (laughs) Like, it's going to have the profile it's going to have all the time. I think it's almost kind of a maybe a perception thing to a degree, too, because, I mean, at least personally, like, when I think of tequila, I almost never would think of smoke which maybe it was too many rough nights in college with very very cheap tequila other things but when i think of whatever smoky components there i see it welcoming as as like a differentiator like you can tell this was actually made (laughs) you know what i mean i like like the way you said it's true but i mean it it didn't it it didn't come over here in a powder and get thrown together like gns which i can't tell you names wouldn't want to if i did but i understand that happens with tequila and other spirits but you can tell it just gives it such a natural aspect that like the feel of it is, hey, this was handmade. Someone genuinely did this. And whether you like it or not, you can at least appreciate that this kind of came from the ground up, essentially. It's home cooking. Yeah. It's like it's a home cooked meal and you just know you can't replicate that. Not, not everybody agrees on who has the best sausage gravy, but you can tell when it's homemade versus uh, whipped together with water and powder. Yeah. So I'm going to go out on a limb here. Out of these three, they're all very good. Don't get me wrong, but I think there is a distinct stylistic difference between the three of them. I'm not going to lie. The one that I like is not necessarily smoky. Mm -hmm. I like the Sierra Negra probably the best out of these three Mm -hmm. because I like it. It's got hints of things, but it's not like overtly smoky, but it's not overtly clean Mm -hmm. at the same time. Zeke, I'm interested in where, where you fall on these, but. I mean, it's not I'm, like it matters. It's all good. Just curious about your palate. I'm I'm pretty spun between the second and the third one. The third one, I thought the nose was very subtle. And again, these are horrendous notes, but it's how I just perceive it off the palate. But the third one, I thought it was kind of meaty. And I put it had like a good salt to it, if that makes sense. I felt like it was like, you know, you eat a good steak that has the right amount of salt, right amount of heat, temp cooked to it. Um, or if you were ever a kid and, you know, your parents weren't smart enough to eat, like not to suck on lemons all day because it'd eat the enamel off your teeth. But, you know, it's that whole like negative feedback thing to where you don't like it, but as soon as you stop doing it, you want to do it more. The third one, it pulls me. Like, I just want to taste it again. As soon as it goes away, I, I feel like I'm missing something when it's not there. See, I'm just here for Zeke's tasting notes. That's what I live for. I, man, I feel that way every day. We just saying, you know, <laughs> I just want to drink. I just want to have a little bit more when the glass is, you know, done. Like the, 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 the second one's super enjoyable, but it's more of like 
casual, I could sit here and sip it and bullshit. And, and if it sat there for a minute, I wouldn't like feel like I was missing one of my close friends. But the third one, like, hey, something. What, what did I forget to do just now? Like I lost something. I mean, you just, yeah, you, as you were saying that I, I actually went back to pour myself a second pour and uh, guys, I drink this stuff every day, but I've got, I, I feel it's a cool, that's a, that's a cool tasting note. The way this makes you feel right. Cause I'm the same way with this particular batch, which is the third one, by the way, is agave tobala. Wild, wild harvested agave takes about 10 years to reach maturity. Um, you got to kind of hunt from these things. They take off in, in um, pine forest, oak forest. They're kind of like searching for truffles to a certain degree, not cultivated. <laughs> And we have different notes, but they're, it's making us feel the same way. I mean, to me, there's a creaminess to this that's undeniable. You know, it's just like, oh, I like the way that this, the oils in this come out on this. It's just like a nice fatty mouth feel. It sits heavy, comfortable on the palate. And then just a hint of eucalyptus, um, a little bit of red fruit. And you go, you know, I just finished my glass. And they go, I got to I gotta have a bit more of that. You know, I got to just have a little bit more of that. And and, and some of that just, again, because it's complex, you want to unpack more of it too. You know, you want to go, what else is in here? It'd be like, a, you know, if you're sitting at the restaurant and you finish off and you, you're bullshitting similar to what we are, but then you're also like out of the corner of your eye, like, where in the hell's the waiter? Damn, this thing is empty. What is he doing? Like, <laughs> you know, you always have that, like, I'm going to act calm and collected and bullshit, but if he doesn't come by this damn table, he's losing dollars on the tip by the minute. <laughs> I don't know that. That's just the sensation I get from it, and I, to me, I, I've always think that's better than. So there you have it, folks. Notes. Cinco Centitos uh, gives you anxiety. <laughs> the, my tasting note on the second one is it makes me think of Zeke Baker because, like, <laughs> I have a good enough time when it's around, but if it was gone, I wouldn't miss it too much. <laughs> like. Uh, you know, like when I'm tasting it, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember why this is enjoyable. And then like, uh, but I don't miss it when I'm not there. And my my apologies for not even attempting to pronounce what each one of these is, but it might I, better than you my, my uh my pronunciation <laughs> stopped with tart. That, that's, that's, that's the one thing I've succeeded in here today, so we're we're good with that. <laughs> um these are fun to taste through and anywhere between two and three, I, I think it would be a, a mood. I, I would agree with that. I know we have just scratched the surface. We are about to go do a pick. We will do something to tease this pick probably on Instagram after we pick it. And you can find it at Elixir Spirits in Spring Hill, Tennessee when it is ready. Jason, thank you so much for, for coming on. You can get this in Nashville in the middle Tennessee area. Yeah. Where else can you get this? Washington, D.C., New York, California, um, Chicago, Florida, somewhere probably. Georgia. But mainly just come hang out in Nashville and find it. <laughs> and we know Elixir Spirits has the, the last five Sierra Negras. So that's where you're going to have to go to get that. And uh, PM Spirits is the importer. Uh, we know it's Cinco Sentidos Agave. But if you are on Instagram, is just five, S-E-N-T-I-D-O-S. That is the five senses. Agave, A-G-A-V-E. You can find us on Facebook at Dad's Drinking Bourbon, Twitter at Bourbon Dads, Instagram at Dad's Drinking Bourbon. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Please leave us an open and honest review, just like we leave open and honest reviews about the whiskey we drink. We're going to have to have you on again because we, we're not even like, we're, we're an hour and a half in and I feel like we could talk for another hour and a half. So thank you very much for coming on. Zeke, where else can the folks find us? Drinking uh, wonderful mezcal in good old Nashville, Tennessee. Cheers. Cheers. Salud.